because I really don't think it's news to anybody, school is, is just about over. In fact, it is over for some. Some have already graduated. Others have just a few days of school left. Uh, speaking of both teachers, or uh, students and their teachers, uh, there, there's rejoicing over the end of school. I have a big question for all you students. Did you learn anything? Did you learn anything in school this year? Well, maybe specifically, did you learn something that you didn't know before? Or did you acquire a skill that you didn't have before? Did you learn anything? You know, learning is what school is all about, obviously, and so you should be able to answer in the affirmative. Yes, I know a number of things that I didn't know before. Yes, I'm able to do quite a few things that I didn't have the skill to do before. I learned. It was a good school year. I learned things I didn't know. Today in our lesson, we want to talk about learning. Not us, uh, necessarily, but Jesus. In the text that Cole read for us earlier in Hebrews chapter 5, beginning verse 8, though he were a son, notice, yet learned he obedience. By the things which he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. We want to talk from this text, we want to talk about the fact that Jesus learned obedience. And we want to consider some of what was involved in that. And that will be our lesson this morning based on that text in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. We stop for a minute just to add words of welcome to those that Joel already expressed. We're glad that you're here. A number of visitors are with us, and we're very grateful that you've come our way. Please come again whenever you have a chance to do so. What we're striving to do here at College View is to be a church like the church that you read about on the pages of the New Testament. Uh, we don't claim that we have achieved perfection in that pursuit, but that's our goal. And so since that is our goal, we're trying to have Bible authority for everything that we do and say. If we're going to be a church, like the church that you read about in the pages of the New Testament, it would be necessary for us to be able to go back and establish that the things that we are doing is what they were doing. Under the guidance of the inspired apostles and prophets, they were doing certain things. And, and, and therefore, a pattern of authority is established. And we're trying to imitate that. That being the case, if you ask us why we're doing certain things, hopefully we'll be able to show you from the Scriptures, give you a book, chapter, and a verse, and a thus saith the Lord for our practices. So if you have any questions, by all means, ask them. But again, we thank everybody for being here this morning. Let's talk about Jesus learning obedience. Jesus learned obedience, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8 says. And I want to start out by asking the question, in what sense did Jesus learn obedience? If you were to look up uh, to learn in the dictionary, it would say something like this, to acquire knowledge of something previously unknown or the ability to do something not done before. That's what we were saying that our students do when they go to school, when they're taught their school lessons. We want to teach them something they didn't know before. We want to help them be able to do something they couldn't do before. And that's typically what we think of when we think of learning. But Jesus, of course, is the divine Son of God. There wasn't anything that he didn't know. He knows he, he is all-knowing, right? Because he is God. And he always was God. And from eternity, he knew everything. And so this definition of to learn doesn't work very well. Because he always knew, and, he, and forever he could do everything. 
So this definition doesn't work. In fact, John chapter 8, verse 29, Jesus said, I do always those things which please Him, the Father. The word always there suggests ever, in every instance. And in this case, Jesus wasn't just talking about His time on earth, but from eternity. He had always done those things that please the Father. So Jesus, I think we would have to eliminate this definition of to learn. That doesn't fit. When it says Jesus learned obedience, He didn't learn things He didn't know before. He didn't learn to do something He he wasn't doing before. Instead, Vine suggests that the word here carries this shade of meaning. To learn by use and practice. To acquire the habit of. To be accustomed to. That's the idea of Jesus learning obedience. By use and practice. Uh, to be in the habit of. To become accustomed to being obedient to God. That's the sense in which Jesus learned. Okay. Now let me ask you. Since he learned obedience by practicing it, by becoming accustomed to obedience, what were some of the things that Jesus learned as he lived his life here among men? Well, first of all, I think we could clearly argue that Jesus learned obedience is not doing your own will. There's not too many here who would remember, but back in the late 60s, the Isley brothers had a hit record called do what you want to do. It's your thing, they said. Do what you want to do. I don't know. That, that made the top 40 charts for a while. I think it came out in 1969. It's your thing. Do what you want to do. Not many people remember that song anymore from the Isley Brothers. But I'm telling you, that mentality is pervasive in our world. It's your thing. Do what you want to do. Whatever it is that you want to do, do that. You, you can pursue your own interest. You can practice your own will. Jesus learned that really, though, being obedient is not just doing your own will. Look at Jesus in Matthew chapter 26 in such a poignant scene as he prayed in the garden before, just before he was arrested and taken to be tried and crucified. Jesus fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Think about that for a minute. I think it's clear that what was about to happen regarding to all the abuse and mistreatment and injustice and the horrible suffering and torture that Jesus was about to endure, this was the Father's will. It was the plan for our salvation. But Jesus would have preferred not to have to do that. Uh, And it was not going to be easy for him to do that. We've talked many times in the past that I think a lot of times folks have the idea, oh yeah, it was easy for Jesus to go to the cross. It's what he came to earth to do anyway. And and it was a, it, it was just, it just, what, what, it was what it was, and it wasn't all that big of a deal because it was all according to the eternal plan of God. And I want to tell you, we need to rid ourselves of that concept completely. It was not easy for Jesus to do. And in fact, Jesus here said it was the will of the Father, but it wasn't His will necessarily to do that, but He was going to submit to the will of the Father. And so we see from that that submission to the Father 
uh, is what obedience is about. And it's submitting to his will, not our own. Jesus was willing to be submissive in the very hardest of all conceivable things to endure that incredible torture that they were going to heap upon him. He was submitting to the will of the Father. Obedience means you don't always necessarily do what you want to do. Obedience means you submit to the will of the Father. We are called upon to do the same thing. In James chapter 4, verse 7, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Humble yourselves in the eyes of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. And so obedience, as Jesus learned it, is not just doing your own thing. It's your, it's your thing. Do what you want to do. No. We've got to submit to God. Obedience is not just doing what we want to do. Furthermore, Jesus learned that it's doing the will of the Father is not always enjoyable. Can you a picture a scene? I, I can't imagine how many times this has happened. Not just in, in our current time, but all through time when children got together and play. Uh, when, they, when they get together and play, but one of the kids says, this is not any fun. I quit. Can you, can you picture that scene? That, that's, that's acted out all the time. Kids, if it's not fun, if it's not entertaining, they're going to quit. They're not going to do that. But you could picture a kid doing that. Unfortunately, I think too many Christians also act like children in that regard. They want religion. They want the, the church experience as long as it's fun, as long as it's enjoyable, as long as it suits me, I'll participate. But when it gets hard, or when it's difficult, when it's demanding, I'm not, I quit. I'm not doing that. We need to understand, as Jesus learned, that being obedient is not always just doing the enjoyable thing. All the things that we are called upon to do are not necessarily all enjoyable. Just think about Jesus again. You think it was fun, the things that he experienced as he was being tried and ultimately crucified? I just highlighted a few things here from the way they treated Jesus in John 19. Pilate, therefore, took Jesus and scourged him. We've talked about that scourging before. It's beyond our ability to comprehend. The torture of that scourging is just incomprehensible to us. The, the, the pain, the torture, the agony is incredible. Think it was fun? Well, then the soldiers plated a crown of thorns and put it in his head. Can you imagine that? I've, I've tried to focus in my mind just upon the idea of those thorns into his scalp. That alone. And uh, unfortunately, when we think about the whole of the way Jesus was tortured, that, that crown of thorns almost seems minor. But if you just focus on that by itself, that would have been incredibly painful and torturous. Was it fun? Jesus, Jesus was obedient as long as it was fun, as long as it was enjoyable. You think the crown of thorns was enjoyable? And he bearing his cross went forth to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him. We've talked many times, and even recently we've talked about the crucifixion of Jesus and all the torture that was involved in that. Can you imagine those nails being driven through your hands and feet and the weight of your body hanging on that cross by those nails. It's, it's unbelievable. It's, it, it just almost brings tears to the eyes to imagine any human being, much less the perfect Son of God, being tortured in such incredible fashion. Was it fun for Jesus? 
And he did it. It was enjoyable. No, obviously not. That's ridiculous, right? The Apostle Paul said we've got to be prepared to suffer too. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 12, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Paul suggested the idea that as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have to be willing to suffer as he did. Obedience means doing the hard thing. And obedience is not just doing that which is fun or enjoyable. And Paul wasn't just telling people to do that. He himself obviously practiced that. He suffered. In Romans chapter 8, verse 18, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. We're doing that now so that we can have eternity in heaven. In verse 36 of that same text, he says, As it is written, For, the, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. That's the way Christians were treated. And it wasn't just an, a, a, a figurative expression either. It had a literal reality. They were being killed. They were being slaughtered like sheep. We live in a time and a place where we don't have to suffer like that. I tell you, we need to understand that real obedience means doing the hard things, not just the enjoyable things. I think there's some really enjoyable things about being a Christian, don't you? But we've got to be willing to do the hard things, not just the enjoyable things, if we're going to be really obedient. Jesus learned obedience. Jesus learned that obedience is not always fair. It's not always fair. We have a basic sense of what's right. What's wrong? What's fair and unfair? And very often, uh, we tend to think that we should be treated fairly in, in all circumstances. And, and really, we should be. But the fact is that uh, we live in a corrupt world. And it's not always so. That as people trying to live like God wants us to live, in the midst of, as the Apostle Peter said, a crooked and perverse generation, as we live in this wicked world, we need not think that we will always be treated fairly as we try to live for God in the midst of a wicked world. Oh, but we've got to be obedient, even when we are not treated fairly uh, as a result. Again, we use Jesus. What did Jesus learn? Jesus learned it's not always fair. Being obedient does not always bring fairness your way. In John 19, verse 6, when the chief priests, therefore, and officers saw Jesus, they cried out saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. Here's the ruling authority in the land. Here's the guy who has the right to, to set Jesus free. He has that authority. But he's going to yield to the Jewish rulers who are demanding the crucifixion of Jesus. But he actually says in the process of doing that, I find no fault in him. Well, if there's no fault in him, what should happen to him? Fairness and justice says if there's no fault in him, let him go. He didn't let him go. He said, take him and crucify him. But there's no fault in him, by the way. Is that fair? Well, clearly that's not fair. P Pilate knew it wasn't fair. And yet, it still happened. Obedience is not always fair. Even the, the one of the thieves that was crucified when Jesus was crucified, realized that Jesus hadn't done anything wrong. In Luke chapter 23, uh, at verse 39, one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. 
But the other answered and rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. Notice, but this man hath done nothing amiss. This one thief said, We're hanging on the cross and we deserve it. It's, it's, it's just. Notice he even used the word, uh, we indeed justly. We're suffering and it's a just thing that we should suffer. But this thief knew that Jesus had done nothing wrong. I think it's interesting that that, that fella made that observation. That tells you the reputation of Jesus. He had done nothing wrong. And, and this, and this thief on the cross, you know, was a, I, I think you could call him a, an impartial judge of the matter. Jesus hadn't done anything wrong. Pilate was prejudiced. He was going to let Jesus be crucified even though he knew he had done anything wrong. This thief is just making an observation. This fellow hasn't done anything wrong. And yet Jesus still suffered that horrible crucifixion. Being obedient is not always fair. You will not always be treated properly if you're trying to do what's right. But the promise is that that Jesus spoke in Matthew 5, verse 11, beginning, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Jesus told us that we could anticipate that. That we ought to actually expect it. But know that when you suffer, when you're not treated fairly, God is aware and God will reward you for that in heaven. And I'll tell you something else that Jesus indicated here. When we suffer injustice, when people are not fair with us, just because we're trying to live for God, notice, we're in the good company of all of God's faithful who've lived all throughout time. Faithful people of God have not been treated fairly. Jesus mentioned specifically the prophets of old time. As we've studied in our Old Testament, we know that the prophets weren't treated fairly. Many of them were harshly persecuted, and yet they continued to proclaim God's message and do the right thing. Jesus learned that obedience is not always fair. We need to know that too. Obedience may mean that you have to be alone. One of the worst feelings of life is the feeling of loneliness. Being alone, nobody's with you. Nobody's there to help you. We have to accept this reality. Not so, and not so much in the, in the literal physical sense that nobody is there to help us, but at least also in the spiritual sense that sometimes you have to take a stand and sometimes you have to stand alone and maybe there won't be others there to help you. Certainly in trying to live for God, the world is not going to help us try to live for God. We're going to be alienated from the world to the extent that we're trying to do right and they're not. But I want to tell you, sometimes we're even unfortunately disappointed in our own brethren who won't stand with us for what's right, who won't take a stand and support us when we're trying to teach and practice what's right. And so, sometimes you just have to be alone. And even if there's not anybody to stand with us, we got to do it. Jesus was alone when he was crucified. One of the, one of the most hurtful, I think, expressions that are in that whole context of Jesus' suffering is in Matthew 26, 56, when it says, then all the disciples forsook him and fled. And in a real sense, Jesus was alone as he suffered that horrible torture of the crucifixion. To be alone. But you're still going to do it. You're going to do what's right. Obedience means you do what's right. 
even if you're all alone in doing what's right. The Apostle Paul suffered that sort of thing too. I, I've always thought some of the saddest words of the New Testament are the final words from Paul's pen in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And again, here's just some highlights from that text beginning verse 9. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me, for Demas hath forsaken me. Only Luke is with me. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. And then I think maybe the saddest expression of all, do thy diligence to come before winter. He was alone. He needed to see Timothy. Come before winter. Don't, don't let winter shut you in someplace before you can get here to me. I need you. Paul was alone. He mentions Luke with him, and we have to admire Luke's dedication to the Apostle Paul, I think, for sure. But did, it, did Paul waver in that? Did, did he say, well, I, I can't make it. I'm, I'm alone. I'm the, only one who, I'm the only one here trying to do what's right. He didn't waver, but he was alone. Um, we have to be willing to do what's right, even if it means that we're alone in doing it. Jesus learned that as he suffered and died on the cross. Certainly, sort of a summary statement, obedience requires self-denial. We live in a time where people feel like all that their wants and needs and urges ought to be able to be gratified right now. I want it. I want it right now. I'm going to get it right now. And in large measure, we live in a day and time when that's very possible. We live, we, we live as an abundantly blessed people. And materially, we have so many things. And whatever our, our desire is, gratify it. Go for it. You can have whatever you want to have. But obedience sometimes means you don't do that. Obedience means that you have to deny self. Um, gratifying our every physical whim is not conducive to spiritual growth. We've got to be willing to deny ourself. Picture Jesus when he was on the way to Calvary. In John 19, verse 16, they took Jesus and led him away, and he, bearing his cross, went forth to a place called the Place of the Skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him. Now, other accounts, other gospel accounts, tell us that they actually had to enlist a man, to Simon of Cyrene, to help Jesus carry his cross, I think probably because he was so already terribly battered and weakened from that scourging. But at least initially here he went out carrying his own cross. The picture of Jesus carrying his cross, he did it voluntarily. In John chapter 10, verse 17, I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay, down, I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it in. So here's Jesus, already beaten and battered from the scourging, the crown of thorns in his head, trying to carry his cross to Calvary. He's doing that. He's doing that. He's denying himself. Because he said, I, I could stop this. I, I, I'm, I'm doing this of my own determination. But he said, no, notice, no man can take my life from me. If I, if I don't want this to happen, it's not going to happen. He said, I'm laying my life down. He did it voluntarily. He voluntarily denied himself in order to accomplish the will of the Father. He bore his cross to Calvary. Well, Jesus had used that very imagery when he described those who would be his disciples. He said in Matthew 16, verse 24, Then said Jesus to his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 
For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. Now this, of course, was some while before Jesus himself would carry that cross to Calvary. But notice, he said, you've got to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Self-denial. You can't be a disciple of Jesus if you're not willing to deny self. But Jesus learned that too. Jesus denied himself and voluntarily laid down his life for the salvation of mankind. Well, what about this then? Jesus learned obedience. Not that he learned things that he didn't already know. Jesus knew everything. Not that he acquired ability that he didn't already have because he was all-powerful. All he had all ability. But what he did learn by use and practice was what obedience is really like. And then... Notice that he requires that same thing of us. Go back to our original text in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9. Though he were son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. There's got to be strong linkage between obey here and obey there. We learn by what Jesus learned. He learned obedience. And that same kind of obedience is expected of us. And so what does it involve? Well, it means you're going to submit. You're not just going to try to do your own thing. You're going to submit to the will of the Father. And you're going to do that even when it's not fun or enjoyable. You're going to do it even if it's not fair, the way you're treated. You're going to do it even if you're the only one trying to do it. You're going to deny yourself in order to serve God. That's what obedience is all about. Jesus learned obedience. We need to learn obedience as well. What's your situation this morning? Is your life right with God? Have you been obedient? That's the question of the hour. Have you been obedient in all the ways that we described in our lesson this morning? Well, if you're not a child of God yet, if you've never obeyed that simple plan of salvation, hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized for the remission of sins, if you've never done that, then you really are not obedient, obviously. And obedience is necessary. Will you obey the gospel today? If you're a Christian already, but you've not been living right, and you've not been following those concepts that we see in the life of Jesus when he learned obedience, if you've not been obedient as a child of God, you need to come back to him in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing. Oh,